welcome back to the Writer Community Podcast. Today, host Megan will be chatting with Kat Tucker. As a self-confessed bookworm and lover of writerly chat, Kat has been a part of the TWC since its founding. In today's interview, we'll get to know Kat's work, experiences so far in writing, and so much more. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode, and thank you so much again for listening. to have you here Kat without further ado let's get started why don't you start us off by introducing what you've been working on recently my main project at the moment is a witchy steampunk novel which doesn't have a title because I'm terrible at finding titles for my work um but it is um in its first draft stage I'm just kind of I just finished act one so it's coming along at a fair pace. It has reluctant herons, vengeful princes and fluffy rat cats. Um, and it's basically everything I love in a book into a novel. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying doing that at the moment. As you mentioned as well, I've, I've been working on a, um, or have just finished work on um, an epic fantasy called Winter's Fire, which was five years in the making. And that is a lot more sprawling and is actually part of a planned trilogy. And I've been lucky to read both of those while I'm reading um, Merla as you've been going. And I can say without a doubt, it's as fantastic as Kat says it is. Especially love the fluffy black cat because I love cats so much. So where did your inspiration come for Winter's Fire and for Merla? I, um, I always hate this question. I am such a panster by like my very nature, just not in writing. So actually nailing down like a soul moment of inspiration is really really difficult for me with winter's fire especially it just came in bits and pieces over it must have been over about a decade for example the 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 magical artifact the amulet um, that's at the center of the whole story that is based on a necklace that um, I bought when I was 15 Um, and that was rolling around in my head I mean I started writing as 25 26 so it was in there for a good decade and the characters sort of like just came in bits and pieces on runs or like just when I was just walking down the street and it all sort of just came together I never set out to write Winter's Fire so it was just kind of like an amalgamation of scenes that linked together when I first started writing it so it was quite hard to nail down Merla is a little bit easier because I've kind of got into a a rhythm of writing and a rhythm of like recording story ideas and things. I think the first like little bit of inspiration for Merla was when I was on holiday in the Scottish Highlands. I get a lot of inspiration from nature and we were in this bothy and I was working on Winter's Fire at the time and like a bothy is basically a shepherd's hut. Um, It has no running water, no electricity, So I was just sitting there like wrapped up in laser jumpers with a fire and kind of just looking out over this mystery landscape. And it was just, there was, I was like, I need to, just felt that super Celtic vibes coming in. And it was, yeah. So that was kind of like the first thing. Merla was actually based off of a woman I saw in the tube um, on the London Underground. I love that. Um, (laughs) She was just in this like, full kind of like witchy aesthetic like the ripped black skirts and just so dreamy and kind of like oh it was amazing and she just had these masses of red curls and I was like I am writing you you <laughs> you are in a novel <laughs> um get a photo <laughs> yeah it's just like I wish I had but I I didn't have the wherewithal I was just like 
I need to write you. So that's kind of like where her look came from. And then the other bits and pieces, they just sort of like came to me. Like I knew when my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's that I wanted to write that into a story somehow. I have two black cats, so they found their way into it. And I think like it's just a, it's just been an amalgamation of little ideas and little bits of inspiration that have come to me over like the course of the last two years. Joss was actually a character in Winter's Fire that got cut and repurposed. Because That's I couldn't really let go of him entirely. I love that. And I can definitely see Neo and Nell in Poor in Merla. <laughs> just the yeah. way that he moves and, and the things he does. I can just imagine um, your cats, Neo and Nell, doing that as well. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot of character study, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Have you done anything differently with Merla that maybe you didn't do or did do with Winter's Fire? I mean, what didn't I do differently? I think it's probably an easier question to answer. I think, as I said, like with Winter's Fire, I didn't set out to write a novel. I was in the closet with my writing, for sure. I didn't tell anyone I was writing. I didn't know any writing craft. I think I was still kind of holding on to that myth that like writers can just write and you don't you don't there's no one no novelist like studies the craft and so I was just writing for the sheer hell of it I've always written it's kind of compulsive thing so I sort of just wrote and I always see Winter's Fire as kind of my learning novel of how I wrote like learned to become a writer and obviously I'm still learning but like Winter's Fire was definitely a massive step up from that first draft to the eighth draft so with Merla the one big change that I have is the fact that my mentality now is I want to become a full-time novelist. So that has kind of changed the way that I have um, started the project. And I knew um, from the get-go because of that, I needed to be more prolific. I can't write a novel every five years because I'm not George R. R. Martin. Um, <laughs> I need to, I need to like start churning out some, some work. So um I was like, I'm going to have to give up my pants to ways. So I did try and plot Merla using beats, story beats. It didn't really work for me. Yeah. I think it was just too much plotting. It stifled me a lot. I basically, I think I wrote about a thousand words of the project and then gave up on it. Um, and I think it was just that I, I couldn't find the heart of the novel. And it took me a while to kind of work out a process that would get me to a point where... I'm kind of blinkered in the fact that I have a road, but also have some creativity coming into it. So I think that the one big difference has been actually having a process and, and starting out to, I am writing a novel and this is how it's going to end. I think that's probably the, the biggest difference. And that obviously has affected everything that I have done around the project. Um, the two couldn't be any different. <laughs> and I think you've hit on a good thing there, actually, an interesting point that, Obviously, not everyone's process works for everyone. Um, mm -hmm. And when I first started writing, I also found the beats really useful. Um, but since I've done more writing, you've got me started on Story Genius. So I'm reading that at the moment, which is another really good book to help you kind of plot out your novel. And the beats is really good for like that external plot, that surface story. But then to go deeper and get the heart of the story, things like Story Genius and the emotional craft of fiction are really, really useful. So I think I think we've all been there, though, that that first book that helps you learn, you know, that, that first draft that was terrible and... and <laughs> 
<laughs> you think what am I doing and, and then to start to have that mind shift towards actually this book is a product that I want to sell eventually and and to have that business mindset I think is a um, is a very interesting kind of growth pattern for a writer from you know the start to the finish so wherever you know the listeners wherever they are on that journey um there's obviously always more to learn and um and more to more to discover really with writing Absolutely. which is so I don't think there's ever a time where you're not learning yeah like I could still be writing in 50 years time I really hope I am writing in 50 years time and and still be learning how to become a better writer definitely um, especially I really love that yeah agreed um, and which do you prefer? Do you prefer plot-driven stories or character-driven stories? And which are your Character-driven. Character-driven every day of the week. And I definitely, I'm someone who writes what they love to read. Mm-hmm. So I read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi and that's what I write. And I love character-driven stories and that is what I aim to write as well. Um, I think without a character arc, it's hard to get a story in there I love to see characters change I love to see how their relationships with others change them Mm -hmm. and how they kind of grow and and learn important things about themselves and the world around them I I just think that's amazing and I think it helps us learn as well like it's a great learning tool for kind of learning more about yourself or others Mm -hmm. around you so yeah I yeah I'm 100% on the character side (laughs) I am with you on that. I love character-driven stories as well. And I think you're right. It, it's it's a learning process about the humanity of everything, isn't it? It's like learning how to be in different situations, learning more about yourself. And again, story genius, emotional craft fiction, they, they delve into that. Mm-hmm. It's, that's how you relate to the story and the characters. And you think, would I act differently? How would I, what would I do in that situation? And I just think that's why character-driven stories are pro- is so powerful. Um, yeah. over plot-driven stories I feel like plot-driven stories are a little bit more prevalent in the past and I think there's a big shift in the, the industry towards character-driven stories now which I think is, is definitely and I, don't get me wrong I think plot is really important mm-hmm. like I am not a fan of character-driven stories where it is literally an internal yeah like, I like to have <laughs> some I like to have some external kind of stakes at, yeah you know, a battle or at least a fight mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but I think yeah like if the character stories that are not there then yeah, it doesn't work for me yeah definitely I think a really good example of that was um for Paolini's in a sea of stars whichever one it was it was a fantastic world the plot was great the character the the main character felt so flat and she didn't have an arc she didn't really grow and that for me just showed how no matter how good the story is how good the plot is if the character isn't a big part of that plot and if they aren't growing and they're just reacting to things that happen you will have a book that that can fall quite flat absolutely I found the same with a book that's actually really popular Mistborn um, by Brandon Sanderson yeah really really popular especially for epic fantasy readers and again like the magic system and the world was unbelievable but for me like the characters just didn't they didn't feel real Mm. and I felt like they they did have arcs but they didn't feel it felt like it had been shoehorned in a bit yeah. Um, they felt a bit flat, like it was kind of like the plot had obviously come first. And a lot of people do enjoy that. Like obviously Mistborn is so popular yeah. and yeah. so loved. Um, so I was quite surprised when I didn't I didn't fall in love with it myself because a lot of people, a lot of the recommendations came from, you know, people that 
we share a real like love of, of those kind of books um but again that was for me it's exactly the same realization of like if a character arc's not there and not real then it doesn't it doesn't engage me I wonder if it's being a writer as well like I've become a lot more aware about character arcs and the growth of characters that mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of before so I think it becomes a lot more um prevalent when you know about it like you might read a book and think oh that just didn't hit like it, it just wasn't right but now we know oh that was because there was no character arc and all of that so I wonder if that's maybe um what has influenced us now we've learned so much about the craft <laughs> You might be right there as well. I think it's quite hard to like switch off your writer brain when you're reading. I always know that I've read a really good book when I've not, like my writer brain hasn't gone like, oh, not sure about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> when you start thinking like, why can't I send a, I'm so used to beta reading and critiquing other people's work now, but I'll be reading like a traditionally published book and I'm thinking, why can't I just write to the author and say, why didn't you do this? And, and why don't you try this out? I'm so used to being able to do that now. It's, um, it's a problem. <laughs> I would be like the worst fan ever to like be writing to the, the author being like, you know what? You just yeah, I'm sure they would slightly. really appreciate that, Megan. <laughs> Oh, when we read to see from the sea of stars um I really wanted to write to Christopher Alini and be like did you get a woman's opinion on this book <laughs> did a woman have did a woman read this book because at the moment I'm not sure if they did <laughs> obviously I would not do that every <laughs> every author's journey is obviously different <laughs> so why why do you love the fantasy and science fiction genre what drew you to it I think it's just the possibility. You can just create your own world and you can create your own ways. And I think I think Samantha Shannon said it really well. And she's an author I, I absolutely adore. But when she produced, um, published uh, Priory of the Orange Tree, she did a lot of stuff around like, if we can create worlds that have dragons and magic and mystical beings, why can't we create a world where there's no violence against women? And I thought, like, that is why I love the fantasy genre, because you can create worlds that and explore themes that just don't, for one reason or another, don't exist in this world. And, you know, the, the world that she creates in Priory of the Orange Tree is incredibly, like, very open to same-sex marriages and all this. And it's still set in a very kind of, like, traditional epic fantasy world in the fact that it's all very courtly and there's magic and all this kind of thing. But, you know, turns myths on its head. And I think, I think that's why I love it so much, is that you can explore things that you can't in day-to-day yeah but contemporary I guess contemporary literature yeah. I think that's probably the one thing that draws me the most and also dragon that book actually that sounds really interesting it's amazing it's hefty <laughs> it's a very very big book so if you like big books that's great I love them but I would definitely read it I have the, I have even the paperback and I struggle to hold that Good because I love buying hardbacks. So that's really good to know. It, I won't buy the hardback of that. <laughs> massive. I mean, the hardback would be beautiful, but it is huge, as epic as epic fantasy gets, and just re- with a really like refreshing female vibe on it. That's cool. I find that even with fantasy, we are seeing some kind of rules in place as well, which is a shame because I love. I agree with you. I love fantasy for that reason, but. There are certain, like, especially with historical fantasy that has more of that medieval vibe or that courtly vibe, 
there's still an element of like, well, no, elves should be like this and fairies should be like this. And and I, I really like it when you see fantasy. It has been completely turned on its head because it's fantasy. We can do whatever we want. We don't have to stick to certain constructs just because it was like that in Lord of the Rings or it was like that in Game of Thrones. We can just throw away the rule book, which I agree with you. It's why it's so exciting. Absolutely. And I think like I saw a quote, I can't remember who it was from, but I think it was a tweet and um, someone had complained that their book had potatoes in it and potatoes didn't exist in medieval Europe. And the guy's like, it's fantasy. Like, yes, my world is based off medieval Europe, but if I want to put potatoes in, I can. That was Neil Gaiman. I remember that tweet. He was like, just let them put potatoes, seriously. <laughs> like, stop getting so... Dragons aren't real either, but they've got dragons in there. <laughs> and magic doesn't yeah. exist. <laughs> um, and it's just like... I, you, I totally agree. I think, and I do think it's come from the fact that a lot of the fantasy has come from typically traditionally male writers yep. and those rules have kind of stuck. Um, and I think really refreshingly, there's a generation, our generation of female writers who are, you know, we've had a few people like before us, like Ursula, who are, who have pushed the boundaries, but there's a huge wave of female fantasy writers who are just coming and taking the rule book and going no um which is amazing and I love it even Ursula in her time when she wrote the Earthsea series she even um said that she wrote that like a man and she tried to fit to the norms just to be published because it's one of her first published books so it was hard it's been really hard for for women writers even Mm -hmm. up until very recently um to write what they wanted to write. And I think now we are seeing, you know, a whole plethora of diversity and different rules and different storylines come through, which I think is incredible. I'm really excited. Yeah, for so so. Um, and I think as well, like going back to the question, I think that's exactly what fantasy should be. And that's yeah. why I love it. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely, 100%. Um, if you could bring to life, my next question, if you could bring to life one character you have written, who would it be and why? I'm really interested in this one. I really sorry but I had to choose two um so I've chosen one from Winter's Fire and I've chosen fair. one from yeah very fair um Winter's Fire I've decided to go for Margot okay um, who is a side character actually she's not one of the POV characters and basically I I love her because she is like this very forthright woman mm-hmm. who knows what she wants she knows who she is and she's kind of carved her own way in a world that is so against everything that she is. The world does not accept her as as what she wants to be. And yet she's still kind of carved that little space for herself. I just think she would be great to have on your team. Yeah, I agree. As long as she's on your team. I remember when I first read Margot, I wasn't as keen on her in the first few chapters you see her because she's very like against Eva May. And I'm like, no, Eva May. You're like, you, why would you be against Eva May? Um, and she was quite cruel and quite kind of tough on Eva May. But at the end, she completely redeems herself. I also really like Margot. And I think that's, I think that is with Margot, she, she yeah I think because she has this hardness in her that has helped her carve that way she looks down on Evie May who has she sees as someone who's been given all the all the opportunity yeah. and all the chances and has not taken them um and has ignored like this intelligence within her to just try and fit in and and try and have an easy life in court whereas Margot has taken the hard road 
and I think yeah like I just I just really loved her and I just really love the way that she plays into Evie May's arc and and, and how to change her and then in Project Mella I think my other critique <laughs> partner Emily would probably kill me if I didn't say Joss <laughs> I think I might kill you if you didn't say Joss as well. Although (laughs) I wondered whether it might be poor because I would quite like to have poor in my corner if, you know, if I needed anything because he's pretty cool as well. (laughs) He's pretty cool. He is pretty cool. But like he just speaks in riddles all the time. I I already have two cats. I don't I don't need another (laughs) another one bringing in mice. Um, No, Joss, Joss is I think mainly I would bring him to life just to give him a slap. Um, (laughs) and go okay back in the pages (laughs) because um at the end of the day let's face it he's a prick um like a lovable one but in the best way possible though like a lovable break he is so he is the vengeful prince and he is he's quite selfish Mm. (laughs) Um, and just needs someone to be like mate sort sort your stuff out like get on it um I'm loving seeing the way he's growing though, like his his inner turmoil between doing just what he wants, which you can tell he's always been kind of been able to do whatever he wants and things not going quite his way and having to start to compromise a little bit. Like that's, that's a really nice kind of thing to see, especially um, with, with someone like Joss's character. It's, it's very satisfying um, character arc. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying saying no to him because... Mm-hmm. He has always been someone who's had yes yeah. stuff in his face all the time. And he is, he's a spoiled mummy's boy. Yeah, and um, the fact that he doesn't like Paul, that's a big, yeah. Hates the a big black mark against him. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would bring to life Joss and give him a round telling off. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so what does your writing process look like? How do you balance, obviously you work as well. How do you balance writing and work? Um, I'm fast coming around to the, the belief that balance is just a myth. Um, I kind of, I'll have a week where I feel like I have everything sorted and I have my schedule down and then life will throw another curveball. And it won't be that way again and instead of kind of I kind of went through a phase about a month ago where I was just getting a bit upset in the fact that like I can't control this and I need yeah. to like get a certain amount of words and all this kind of thing to being like you know what like if I want to binge a series on Netflix that will give me a lot of joy and I'm gonna do that and if it means I write 500 words less the next day then then so be it yeah um so long as I don't do that every night kind of thing so I am quite privileged in the fact that I only have to work three days a week. So that helps a lot with the balancing of work and writing. Um, on my working days, I I started to get up. I normally get up at about seven anyway, but I was starting to get like out of bed and trying to get some, some writing done. And I'm learning a lot about the way I write and the, the optimum conditions and that kind of thing for me to write. And I'm... I have actually stopped writing in the morning before work. Mm. Um, I tend to work on other kind of author stuff. So like, I might do a bit of plotting. Um, I might do some social media planning. I might do write my newsletter, those kind of things on those days. Um, and then if I've got enough mental capacity at the end of the day, which is not often, I'll do a bit of writing after work. Um, 
but my my thing is I'm not very good at writing in sprints so writing sprints just don't work for me I'm a, very much a marathon writer so I need a good half an hour 45 minutes to get into yeah. writing yeah and once I've got past that point I can write for like three four hours straight yeah um so I tend to write in huge batches so I'll write in like 2,000 word batches the other day I managed 3,000 words which was like massively my first draft I'm a very very slow first drafter um so I tend to reserve my writing the bulk of my writing for days when I'm not working um and I also have started to like really try and when I was writing Winter's Fire, I was literally just sitting down and writing, 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 and I burnt out. I managed to get it all done, and I managed to hit my deadline, but I was, like, by Christmas, I was so burnt out, I just couldn't even think. Like, I was sleeping, like, 12 hours a day. It was ridiculous. Um, so this time around, I'm, I'm making sure I'm getting up and I'm doing some exercise and... Um, that's really important to me I'm making sure that like you know I'm spending time laying on the bed with the cats and and going out for a walk or reading and learning and those kind of things as well so even though my progress is probably a lot slower than it could be it's more balanced and it's probably more it's probably better in the long run for me um that I won't get burned out hopefully this time um so yeah that's kind of how my my day looks it's if I'm if I'm working it's it's kind of author stuff but not specifically writing and then on days I don't work it's it's kind of like a nine till five writing Nice. I think it's consistency, isn't it? It's mm. finding what works for you, even if that's half an hour a day or two hours on the weekend mm. um, to juggle around everything else. I think consistency yeah. is really important. And I think it's really interesting what you said about writing in batches and writing as a marathon. I think a lot of people feel like that. I know I've had struggles with that in, in the past as well. Like NaNoWriMo, mm. I did most of my 50,000 words on the weekend. So I remember I think I did a 7,000 word on one weekend. I wow. just like... 11 a.m to like 11 p.m just wrote and then for it depends on kind of where you are in your stages and and how much time you have but that can be really powerful so I think for a lot of people they think oh I've got to force myself to get into sprint mode you don't you can do as you say what you what you do and just write in a batch and just say I'm going to do 2,000 words this week and just on the Mm -hmm. Saturday and that can also really work for people that absolutely so when I was doing winter's fire when I was working full-time that's what I used to do yeah I used to say like okay on Saturday morning I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to write as much as I can I never even used to give myself word count totals because time was so tight mm. um and especially you know that was in the before world where like we had social lives so um and like you know other mystical things what are we going to uh, do when lockdown ends <laughs> how are we going to write and see people <laughs> ridiculous I know that thing <laughs> social life wow <laughs> what's that again um <laughs> I think like yeah I think it is just finding I think some people write in sprints some people can do it yeah. um if that's you then amazing and spread that word count over the week but I think it's definitely finding 
how you work best in the same way as like the whole plotting panster thing that we talked about earlier like it's finding what works best for you and tweaking it to to you know forever tweaking it to change because your life will change as well I don't have kids but you know if I did then that would have to change again because I probably wouldn't be able to get three hours to myself so it is just kind of like this this organic process of like finding what your life as a writer yeah definitely and I think that's also a really good point you know recognizing when your process no longer works for you and changing it up and and not Mm. being afraid to try new things um I think that's a really good thing to do um and to keep on reviewing your process as you go so I think that's a really good message to people so and on to the big question traditional publishing or self-publishing um I don't know (laughs) it's it's um yeah it's a really a really tough question and I know that we've both had like conversations um, separately about what we want to do and we're both very similar in having like this internal struggle and talk about character arcs um (laughs) so I think it's it is difficult It it is a difficult question my dream has always been traditionally published but that's just because that's all I knew. So with indie publishing, you know, that probably hit its stride like 2010 onwards, I would say. Yeah, I think um, so. Might be a bit earlier. Um, but it was never really on my radar. Yeah. As that, that could be done successfully. Um, I have tried with sort of like dipped my toe into traditional with um, Winter's Fire in terms of querying. But I think the more I read, the more I think I might go indie. Um, And for a few reasons, really. I think the first one is really looking at what I want with my books. I think with traditional, it's this need to be, like, recognised by the industry being a, you know, in air quotes, good writer. Validation. Or at least that's what it feels like. Absolute validation. Like, and I'm not, I'm a bit embarrassed to admit it, I guess. But like that, that its core is someone going, yeah, you you can write. And, you know, that, that is really a driver. But when I really look about why I write and why I want to become a full-time writer, it's because I want people to read my books. Mm. And the, the opinion that I would want of someone saying I really loved your book and you're a really good writer is the readers yeah not the publishers and the more I think of that I'm like well okay what happens if my book doesn't get published and into readers hands because someone decides that my book isn't right for them at that particular moment it's not because you know like people get a lot of you know um, rejections and things being like you're a good writer and this is really good writing I just don't think it's right for me at the moment yeah and that means you know how to sell this commercially yeah. that's also a very common one absolutely yeah exactly like your book might not be on trend at that particular moment in time <laughs> and I think that that is I think that's the danger that I feel with traditional is it takes a long long time for your books to get out there um advances aren't huge and as I say I want to write full-time yeah so 
you know, at the end of the day, I need I need money to do that. Such is um, your forecast as well when you've got a product that's out there selling. Absolutely. And I think that it's just I, I want people to read my books. And what happens if I write and write and write and just get turned down at every stage? I might have like a whole library of books that readers are never going to read. Um, and I'd much rather, you know, like it's not that I discount traditional, but I think it's more that the fact that I'd like to write books. And if I think they're good enough to be published, to publish them myself, yeah. And then maybe at stage go hybrid and go into dis- traditional that way when I've kind of proven myself as a writer um, and someone who's marketable. Well, look at Hall of Smoke. She's written, I think I read, 11 books. 11 books. She has a back catalogue of 11 yeah. books. Before her debut novel came out. 11. Can you mm-hmm. imagine? Yeah. I don't know if... I, I do have the patience, but I don't know if I want to have the patience to write 11 books. <laughs> before I can finally be published I'm I'm sure she must have queried a good amount of those as well she didn't just write them for the fun of it and then put them away I'm sure she had to go through the struggles of querying them and and getting no's and rejections and to to keep you know writing another book just to get traditionally published I think there's um it actually makes me quite angry Mm. with the publishing industry sometimes when you Mm. see these fantastic books that a publisher just says this isn't on trend this isn't sellable it it is sellable because they're they're selling and people are reading them people are loving them and it's almost like the publishing industry has become a gatekeeper um for what they think is the trend um not for what could be the trend and that's absolutely and I think that it's it's damaging not yeah in terms of like good writing not getting out there but in terms of representation and diversity yeah. um you know I think last year it really kind of put a a spotlight on the lack of diversity in the like, traditional publishing yeah and I think it is it is really damaging um that you have these gatekeepers who decide what is good and what isn't um and you look at like um Jennifer Armitrout like she, you know she self-published so many books and they're you know, and then has gone traditional when she's proven herself almost. I didn't know that's, that. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I know I, I didn't know that she'd self-published. I knew that yeah, she'd written loads. Like a back, she's got a whole, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's hybrid. That's um, amazing. That's really yeah. interesting because she has absolutely stormed onto the scene, you know, with, yeah. with Bud and Ash. Um, this is it. She didn't storm onto the scene. So I think her yeah. first book was 2012. That's really interesting wrong on that but I'm pretty sure it was yeah 2012 Um, I love stories like that I think that just shows that there there doesn't have to be either or like we always ask this question I've I've even done it either or which one traditional self but you know we can do what feels right for the book at the right time Um, and I think for a lot of people they they're scared of going self-publishing because it's a lot of work it is a lot of work and it's a lot of money you have to put up front and they feel like if they go traditional publishing then they'll learn more because they'll have someone holding their hand but I think it's actually the other way around from what I've spoken or what I've I've heard from other people is that they've learned so much more self-publishing that gave Mm -hmm. them so much more confidence because it was all on them but it's not all on you you know there's a lot of fantastic authors out there that have done it before that you can reach out to that can help you every step of the way like you really aren't alone if you decide to self-publish but I I do actually think you, you learn more and you gain more confidence and if you just hand it over to a, a publisher and and let them do their work and you lose all control so you don't actually learn 
you know what what you might need to do to make that book a success they kind of you know tell you and do it for you without probably always explaining it because it's just a trend yeah absolutely and I think you know I've heard from authors who are traditionally published that it's not so much that it's they don't feel like they lacked creative control which I think is really nice to hear because I think that is something that comes up a lot when you speak to indie authors they want to keep their creative control but for me it's more like control over timelines yeah and control over just getting in there like just being you know yeah just getting in (laughs) through the door and and actually having books in readers hands um I think for me at the moment I'm really erring towards indie um yeah. And, and again, Jenna, um, Jennifer Armentrout is a good example because she's written so many wonderful books. Mm. Um, and obviously From Blood and Ashes has really taken her to kind of that next level. But it yeah. is a lot. she's got a lot of fans out there already. She's got a lot of people that already love her books and are mm-hmm. going back to read them again and recommending new books to people. And she, yeah. she has a fan base. And as you yeah. say, if you, if you wait traditionally published, you know, we're, we're both in our early 30s if it takes us five years to publish the books that we're working on now you know it feels a little bit like it's a long time to wait to just get a book into a reader's hands um it's fine if you're maybe like 20 you maybe got a little bit more time but you you want to start to kind of start your career as a writer um or as an author should I say you know you're, you're always a writer but start your career as an author um and start to build up those those fans and that following so that you're you because you'll always be growing you'll most people don't get overnight success it's like on their fourth or fifth book of people reading them like wow look at this author she's consistently written so many amazing books I love her kind of thing so um I completely agree with the timeline issue with traditionally publishing no totally yeah that's the one thing that really is is pushing me towards indie yeah I was actually speaking to my mom about this yesterday um, and because I was uh, she was reading like the first chapter of my book she's been asking me for so many times so I was like read this chapter? <laughs> and she was like what you know what do you think you'll do and I was like oh, I'm not sure she was like I think you should go self-publish because I don't think you want to wait five years to publish your book and you're like you're right I don't want to wait five years <laughs> to query and and wait for the editor to say it's good enough and then wait for the publishers to to actually have a timeline to release it it just seems kind of heart-wrenching to have to wait all that time for something that you you've poured your heart and soul into absolutely yeah no I yeah I'm I'm completely with you and especially just having to wait on on what is really pure luck of being in the right place at the right time with the right book yes um that that's quite scary (laughs) yeah definitely and I wish that more traditional authors would talk about self-publishing I don't know about you but there's a lot of authors out there and I won't kind of name any names but Mm. a lot of like big traditional authors that talk about give advice about publishing and they say you know it's all about timing they give advice on query letters they give advice on on networking all of that but you never hear them talk about self-publishing. And I don't know why. Maybe that's because it's a bit of a, um, a big competition to the, the traditionally published world. I don't know. But they never say it's an option. You know, and another option is you could self-publish your book. And I never hear that from them. And I think it's a real shame. Yeah, I think, yeah, there is quite a lot of kind of cloak and dagger around traditionally published yep. 
like the the method and stuff you know again you get all this kind of advice about traditionally publishing but no one kind of mentions that really it is kind of down you could write the most amazing novel in the world and just have bad luck yeah like and I think that is it's such a big play <laughs> like, yeah. and you know be patient you know you have to do this that and other but really it, it does just come down to whether your book lands with the right person at the right time um and also having to give up on your story as well you know they, they also mm. say you know your first book you write probably won't be the story that gets picked up so basically advising that after a certain amount of time querying you'll have to give up on that story and then query another story mm. and that is pretty heartbreaking as well you've poured so much time and energy into this this book that you love um and then to have to to give up on it just because other people have d- deemed that it's just not on trend right now um is heart-wrenching and when that's not the only option as well so um I think there's I think we're really really lucky now we don't have to rely on publishers like you know the last hundred years of publishing um uh, writers have had to rely on publishers Mm -hmm. so I, I think there's a real movement happening now which is really exciting time to be a writer actually um, you know, like the small business of writing, being an entrepreneur is very, very appealing. Yeah, absolutely. I do really, uh, I find it quite, yeah, yeah, appealing is the right word. Mm-hmm. I think as we're both marketers as well by trade, I think we're not probably as scared by the marketing element, which yeah. can be a bit scary for people. I think I think that does definitely like play <laughs> into our hands is the fact yeah. that we do it on a day job. So it's not, it isn't a scary beast. Yeah. Um, Okay, last couple of questions. What advice would you give to aspiring authors in our community? I think the first one is is perseverance. Don't give up. You will get negative feedback. Have moments of doubt. You might get that negative feedback from yourself. Life might get in the way and you might not write for a month or two or like me, six. But don't don't give up. If this is what you want to do, just just keep plodding onwards. Like the, the writer's block, everything will come. But if you just keep pushing, you will get through it. And I think that's been the one thing that's really, really helped me is just being like, I'll get through this um, and I'll make it to the end of my book and I'll make it to the end of this chapter. Or sometimes just I'll make it to the end of this bloody sentence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think as well, like, I mean, people are listening to this, so it's probably a bit of a... Um, and nothing kind of bit of advice but definitely find your people yeah. um I didn't tell so my partner knew that I wrote but I didn't tell anyone that I wrote until three glasses of wine in at a staff Christmas party um and I was always so fearful that people might just laugh at laugh at me I know that's it's ridiculous now that I think about it but yeah. it was like a deep fear that people would just be like what like you know you're living in like some sort of fantasy world everyone had so and I think it doesn't help that the media portrays it like whenever you see like a comedy movie or um a lot of series I've been watching recently there's always some person that's writing a book they like find their manuscript or something and and it's kind of sometimes can be a joke and so I think the media has perpetuated that fear but in real life when you when someone tells you they're writing a book or you tell someone they're writing a book it's such an incredible inspirational thing that they're doing that it's you know you never feel like that but the media has made it a bit like that I think 
Absolutely, yeah, totally. And I think there's that kind of like that, just that myth of kind of like the kooky writer sat yeah. at their desk. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll say that. I was going to say stroking their cat, and I was like, yeah, no, that is me. <laughs> um, but but um, yeah, I think there is definitely that myth of like just kind of like someone just, you know, surviving off baked beans on toast and and not making any kind of go ahead with their life and that kind of thing. So I was really, I was really scared. And and when I did finally tell my colleague, like, she was like, that's so awesome. Um, and is now one of my beta readers. So like that is definitely find your people. And that kind of gave me the confidence to reach out on Twitter. And then I found you guys on Instagram. Um, and then when you like what launched the writer community, like so behind it, because finding like-minded souls just gives you that kind of I'm not alone in this and it helps with that perseverance as well because I can post and say like I'm having like the worst day and I'm a terrible writer and like people would just be like you're not and you'll get through this and just having that shoulder to kind of like virtually cry on is is really really great. I think also um the accountability element of it as well like mm. once you've told people um whether it's just like saying on instagram i'm writing a book um i'll never forget when um hannah holt started on instagram and she literally posted her first post being like hey guys i'm writing a book and i'm going to publish on this date and she did and like everyone was so behind mm. her and then i got on her arc team and you know yeah. just having that accountability to tell people that you're writing a book you're going to publish it you want them to read it it's just an incredible thing but um I agree with you until I did that I did not feel like a real writer I was yeah. in the closet completely um pretending that it wasn't something that I was doing and I was scared to tell people mm-hmm. so I think it's so powerful and I've I've also learned so much from other writers yeah um like doing critiques on snippets on Instagram or doing beta reading or just hearing like what the latest craft book that they're reading um I I've learned so much I've learned way more in like the last sort of what nine months being a part of like the Instagram writing community than I have like in my entire life about writing um and that's just from having people to talk to about it yeah Um, you really learn off of each other really do 100% and people see things that maybe you don't as well when you're very close to your work you know you're you're working on it day in day out it's hard to see the wood from the trees sometimes so you know posting snippets I know some people are scared of doing that or think maybe they shouldn't do that because someone might steal their idea you know people aren't going to people just want to help each other grow and and we all learn when we you know post snippets of our work so um I think that's really really key to learn off each other as well yeah, 100%. So last couple of questions. Um, where can our listeners find you? Um, so I'm mainly on Instagram, where it's um, at KN, like for November, um, KN Tucker writes. Um, I am on Twitter, but I don't engage a lot on there because I don't like it. Um, but if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm Kat N Tucker on that. Um, and I also have a website which is knTucker.com where I kind of just blog about books and writing and um, yeah the craft and share cat pictures so yeah I love that um, 
that blog article you wrote about show don't tell if you if any listeners are struggling with show showing or telling not showing whichever way around um if you're struggling with that Kat has a fantastic blog article um on that that helped me so much when you wrote that like it it just demystified the showing not telling rule for me so anyone listening here 100 check out Kat's website because there's some fantastic oh, articles <laughs> and it's 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 one of my favorite things to talk about showing not telling. <laughs> it is it's a really difficult um kind of one to, to understand and there's so many books out there dedicated to it but you know it's actually quite simple to explain but difficult to have wrap your head around I think people make it more complicated sometimes and actually needs to be um so yeah and who would you or would you like to to shout anyone out at the end of this podcast um I think well I think the whole writing community it's quite hard to like not <laughs> just get an individual <laughs> I feel like I'll be missing people out but um obviously you for being like an amazing critique partner um yeah. but also Emily Rook who's my other critique partner she is absolutely incredible and her debut novel comes out this March so um yeah it's it's she's she's so awesome and a really really supportive person as part of the community yeah she is her, her debut novel The Dying Light is also amazing as well I'm, re- I'm also reading it at the moment and I think we have a podcast episode with her either when this comes out it might have already been published or it will be being published so um, you'll also be able to, to hear an interview of Emily as well amazing well thank you so much for that Kat I'm going to press stop recording now um episode of the writer community podcast if you'd like to get involved with the community you can find us online at thewritercommunity.com or on instagram at the underscore writer underscore community for tons of prompts writerly chat and lives thank you so much for joining us and i hope to see you next time